Welcome to uh, the Sailorville podcast. My name is Abe Miller here with Pat Nemers, and uh, this is this is a this is a podcast off of the message from last week, the greatest family out of Mark three. So if you haven't listened to that message, that'll be in the show notes down below. You can go back and listen to it because this is really going to be a discussion about the message that you preached last week. So in Mark three, which was really, was really interesting. And as we talk about the family, as we talk about opposition, as we talk about um, how to deal with opposition and about family, but give us a quick, just a quick overview of the, of the message just to get people kind of into the flow of where, where we're going to go today in the conversation. Well, we were in a passage which is very, uh, it's very popular. It's familiar. People are familiar with the the expression in the passage where Jesus uh, is told that his mother and his brothers are outside of the house. The place is packed. He's doing some teaching. The people are sitting around and they say, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. And instead of saying, well, by all means, you know, bring them in. That's my mo- my bro- my mother and my brothers. He instead he famously says, you know, who who's my mother? Who's my brother? And then he's stretching out his hand. He points out to the followers of Christ that are there. And he says, these are my mo- this, these are my mothers, my brothers, etc. And those who do the will of God are my mother, my brother and my sisters. And uh, which, of course, is the first time Jesus sort of distances himself from his earthly family. It's not like he didn't love his earthly family. He surely did, but we have a greater family, the family of God. uh, And uh, that's kind of the premise of the, of the message that in the life of Christ, he saw his spiritual family, his followers as uh, those he was more going to be more aligned with than even his physical family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that, um, that's the idea here of this, this podcast is really kind of taking, taking that message and like, what does that look like for us? Right. How do we deal with opposition? How do we deal with family? You would ask right away, like one of the first questions right off the bat was when you think of family, what do you think of? Right. And that, that was, that's an interesting question. Cause like when I think of that, I think I have a lot of positive, um, great memories, mom and dad, family, you know, Christmas, a lot of those but like you said in the message, there's a lot of people that would think opposite of that, right? Yeah. When you when you think of um, when you think of family, but like when when you think of when you think of family, what do you think of when when you hear that? Well, I mean, earthly wise, I have a very large family, but I've always had a large family. I come from a large family. Mm-hmm. I was going to insert it into my message, so this is kind of the opportunity insert, to insert things you didn't that you left on the floor, you know, right. during the editing time, yeah. uh, you know, this, uh, the, the greatest blessing for me personally, that's come out of the COVID era that we're in. I, I just heard the other day, we've entered into the third year yeah. of it. Crazy. Uh, and, and, but the greatest blessing it by far for me has been the bi-weekly family zooms that we have. I have eight brothers and sisters. I'm on the lower end. I'm number eight out of nine, and which is really a blessing. I, had a, I got a brother that's 78 years old and still in great health. He was an NFL referee and, and uh, he was our claim to fame all growing up. He was sort of our hero. Uh, but uh, then, you know, br- lots of brothers and sisters, they're all alive. They're all well. And all of them rejected me when I became a Christian. All of them struggled with me. They didn't quit loving me, but they were pretty hard on me. Some of them were harder than others. And I probably had it coming by the way I approached him, I'm guessing. But uh, 
that was many years ago. And the fact that we Zoom every other week mm. is just a great thing. And some of them have come to know Christ as their Savior. Uh, so it's really a, a beautiful thing. And I'm actually getting along great with all of them. Now, we have our theological differences, for sure. But I've grown in... I've. I've grown in grace a little bit over the years and I've learned that I know these are some of the questions we have. How do you get along with people mm -hmm. that you don't see eye to eye on? And it's not as hard as you might think. And uh, at the same time, I'm, I don't lose my passion, my desire, my heart for my brothers and sisters who might not have that personal relationship with Jesus. So anyway, I would have used that as an illustration because if you recall what Jesus in the, in the passage, his, you know, his, the, the Bible tells us in John seven, his brothers didn't believe in him. They were, they were opposed to him. They made fun of him. They, they mocked him. But at the end of the day, after his death and resurrection, they came to know him. A couple of them wrote books. So there's hope for families that have, you know, alienated brothers and sisters. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of go there a little bit. Like when I think of, when I think of my family and spiritual conversations, it's always very healthy. It's encouraging. I mean, yeah. I look forward to Christmas when I'm home with my, my sisters and my my brother-in-law and my mom and dad, like we have really good spiritual conversations. You obviously maybe didn't have that as much, but like, how do people, how do you deal with that? Right. When you're fired up about following the Lord and you've got a sister, a brother, a mom or a dad that is in opposition. Yeah. I mean, how did, how did you work through that and how, how would other people work through that even now? Well, in the early days, after there were a number of bridges that were burned, it was awkward. It was a little different. I mean, I, we knew that when we walked in the house, the eyes were on us or, you know, looking with a raised eyebrow here and there. And, you know, we learned how to roll with it, how to get, how to talk about things that, uh, you know, that were not spiritual, but you could talk. There's, you know, hundreds of things you can talk about without ever invoking God, even though you and I as followers of Christ want to have the Lord in mind with in any conversation. So that was the kind of a learn. There's a bit of a learning curve. I think that's there. Um, the thought that came to me as you were posing that question though, just in these moments as we're talking was Proverbs 15, 23, which says uh, a word spoken at just the right time how good it is. I, I think Christians and even family Christians in general and families particularly fail. Christian families fail sometimes when they might have truth, but they shove it down somebody's throat at a terrible time, or they choose a terrible time to talk about something when the environment, the moment isn't really calling for it, you know? And I think that's, that's where we have to be gracious. If, Colossians four says, let your, let your words be with grace. Let them be seasoned with salt. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, you look for the, you pray for the open door. What does that mean? I mean, I think it's pretty clear what it means. Right. An open door is something that's obvious. And it also implies that it's not always there. I think there are Christians and I, I would have been one of them in the early yeah. days. Every door was an open door. They all looked open to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had to learn over time that they're not open. So you have to pray and look for those so you can give the timely word. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, and, and even practically, I mean, when, when you go into those situations or if someone's going into that situation, I mean, what is your heart posture in that? I mean, Lord, help me to, to be wise, right? I mean, what, what, what is your prayer in those situations when you're in the, you know, that there's going to be maybe some opposition or mm -hmm. your, what's your prayer look like? You kind of answered it without realizing you said, what's your posture and what's your prayer? You ought to have a posture of prayer. Now you don't walk in and look like a weirdo, you know, you know, praying, you know, right. But I think the, you know, we have a not, we have an, uh, 
example in Nehemiah, if you recall, you know, he, you know, he had just gotten word that Jerusalem was, you know, in, in a shambles right. and he was the King's cupbearer. And he was thinking about that and it had affected his countenance and the King noticed it and asked him, you know, what's wrong with you? And the Bible tells us that Nehemiah in that moment says, then I pray to the Lord. Well, you know, he didn't fall on his knees in front of the King and pray to God because you're only supposed to be praying to Kings in those days, but he prayed to the Lord. I mean, I, that's a great example. I think in every moment you pray and I, and I would say that that's exactly what I've done and it's exactly what I do. I can still, I can still enjoy normal conversation with somebody and be talking to God at the same time. I, I, I did this just the other day. I was in the middle of conversation. In fact, I did it this morning. I had a meeting this morning with someone and it was a pretty intense situation and we were having a conversation and he was talking to me and I was listening to him and I realized I'm not naturally going to come up with the answer that he's going to want. And I said, God, would you please give me wisdom as to what I say in this moment? And uh, so I think that's what you do. And I think that does a couple of things. Whether you get that answer, like it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I came up with that. Or if you don't come up with the answer at all, if you're praying, you're conscious of the fact that what comes out of your mouth is really going to be important. The way you act is going to be important, especially around somebody who's, you know, cynical. Yeah. So, so let's kind of flip it. So, you know, maybe like your family, like, okay, we're civil. We understand where you're coming from. Like, it's not that big of a deal. You're not going to push me. I'm not going to push you. But I mean, what if you've got it on the other side where the family is mocking you? They're, they're attacking you in front of somebody or a coworkers attacking you for what you believe. I mean, cause we, you know, there's also this thing like stand up for truth and like be bold and speak up and be unashamed of the gospel. Right. Like there again, that's a timing thing, yep. but like. How do you respond to someone who's mocking what you believe or your church or anything else? A couple of things. I respond by realizing we were told this would happen. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus told us that, you know, in John's gospel, 15th, 16th chapter, world's going to hate you. They hated me. It's going to hate you. Uh, and, uh, but I balance that again. I'm looking at my own life at times where I guess I would say, Shame on me if I caused them to hate me by the way I went about doing it. I'm kind of going back to what we said before. So I think to answer your question, I'd say, everybody's got to ask yourself, why do people hate me so much? Why, why, are my, why does my boss hate me so much? Why is my, my mom and dad, and my, why are they hating on me? You know, it might not just be because you're a Christian. It, you need to, I think Christians need to do some serious examination, especially those who, who have a tendency to stand up when they shouldn't be. Now that said, let's say you've done everything you can. You've approached it as, as godly, as humbly and as truthfully as you can. And you still get that opposition. Then I think there's that just a call for wisdom. Not every situation is going to be exactly the same. There may be some times where you got to go, you know, toe to toe with them and speak the truth. And, uh, and I've had a number of those times. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are other times where you just say, and I've done this too. Hey, look, it's clear to me that you and I don't see eye to eye and make that clear to them. Say, Hey, look, I, you're being aggressive here. I, I, I hope you didn't think I was being aggressive when I told you about this. I, I can see why you might, cause it, it's not what you believe. And I get that, right. but I can see, you know, you don't like this. Uh, you're not looking for any answers from me. <laughs> and, uh, so, Hey, let's just 
let's just kill this conversation. Let's talk about something else. We're, we're brothers. We're sisters. We're cousins. We're father, son, we're friends, right? You know, let's get along here. Okay. And I think that's your way of trying to throw some civility in the moment and you're not compromising your position at the same time. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, the whole idea of like, you know, why do they hate me so much? Um, you mentioned in the, in the message about, uh, Luke 14, where Jesus is saying, um, you should love, or you should hate your mother and hate your father. Um, right. Yep. Which sounds very like, well, wait a minute. I thought I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I'm supposed to love my brothers and sisters. And then Jesus is saying, saying this, like, what was Jesus trying to say in that passage? And how does that, how does that clear that up a little bit? Yeah. Does that conflict with the commandment to love your neighbor right. and all that kind of stuff? So, the, you know, you're right. Jesus did say in John or Luke 14, 26, he would come after me who, who wants to be my follower, my disciple, uh, has to hate and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, uh, his own life. Mm. You, you can't be my disciple. And if you'll remember the message, I, I, I always stop at times like this. And I always say, no, look, I didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> Jesus said right, that. Okay. Right. It's like, sometimes people are looking at me like, what are you saying? I say, I want to say, well, I, I didn't say that. Okay. Jesus said that. Right. And I, there's a reason I do that. I want them to think on that. Jesus said that. And there's another part of me, Abe, that is bothered by the fact that we feel like we have to explain away everything. Well, he didn't really mean that. I mean, he didn't mean to hate your father and mother. I mean, well, that's what he said. So we know it has to mean something. And I, you know, I don't think it's rocket science. You look at the, the big picture, you look at the, you look at the, uh, the balance of Jesus's life and ministry. He's not, you're right. We're told to love everyone with the gospel and with our, you know, the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. He's saying that your passion for him as a Christ follower has to so supersede everything else and not just supersede it, not just be over it, be like a chasm over it so that everything else looks like hate compared to your love for, for the Lord. I think that's what he means. I think most people would agree that that's what he meant. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the reason it rubs people wrong is, is really simple. Most people aren't like that. They love, let's be honest. We love our wives more than we love Jesus. We love our children more than we love Jesus. Yep. We love our jobs more than we love Jesus. We love our stuff more than we love Jesus. Does that mean you hate Jesus? No, I don't hate Jesus. I just like those other things as much, or maybe almost as much. And mm. this is what I think Jesus is trying to get yep. away from. How much do you really love me? That's what I think he's saying. Yeah, no, that's good. I think that's, that's really helpful. Um, part of the, part of the, the message you talked about, um, you know, the parents who have kids who are, you know, you're struggling with wayward children or children who don't love Jesus or following Jesus, which is obviously like we just talked about. I mean, every parent wants to see their kid love the Lord, you know, if, if, especially if a parent is a follower of Christ, but that's not true. Uh, we have lots and lots of, families that have kids who are hurting or wayward or don't, don't want anything to do with Jesus. Mm -hmm. What do you say to those parents who maybe have that? And you mentioned this in the message, but like, give us some hope there. How do, how do we, how do we do that? How do we deal with them? Do you just, you know, push them and push them and push them until they conform to what we want? Or do you love them through that? You know, how do you, how do you balance that? Because it's like, man, we so badly want that and yet we can't control them. 
we can't make them. Obviously, if they're younger, you can, you know, yep. but as they get older, that gets harder. I mean, talk to us a little bit about this. You've had lots of kids yep. and they're all out of the house now and help us out there. And I've had kid that kids that have gone astray badly. And uh, that's part of our story. And, uh, and as with the family of Jesus, I've seen the Lord rescue them over time too. So I've, I've been on both sides of that. I've messed up more times than I can count. I've made an abundance of mistakes. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot of answers to that question. I think I would say to parents, you want to give them hope. One of the, the things that we can do is say, you live for Jesus in a real, genuine, non-hypocritical way, then you can have a clear conscience. I can't think of anything more beautiful than a clear conscience mm. as a father toward my children and, uh, or as a mother toward her children. Uh, but don't try to manipulate that. Well, that would be something I would say. Don't, you know, if salvation is of the Lord, and I made that made a big deal of that in the message mm -hmm. as I often do, that gives me comfort. It's not a card. It's not like an excuse to never tell or speak truth to the kids or make an appeal to them or even preach to them on occasion. But at the end of the day, I'm not the one who saves my kids. And, uh, and yet in the mystery of it all, the Lord uses that, that word from the parent, that consistency in the family to save children. I, I don't, I'm not pretending to understand how, how he works it all out, but I would, uh, I would say as long as there's breath in the lungs of those kids that are rejecting the Lord or they're wayward, uh, it's worth praying for them. Uh, but I would, I would say this to every parent, um, don't force it. Mm -hmm. Don't look for every opportunity to preach to them. If your kids are w living away from you and you, and your form of communication is calling or texting, don't look, don't take every call and every text as an opportunity to preach them. They don't want that. They're rolling their, I guarantee you, they're rolling their eyes on their side of that phone. Uh, really show some genuine love for them in life. How are you doing? How's your job doing? And be sincere about it and rejoice with the things that they enjoy. You know, um, uh, you know, if your son or your daughter, let's say is, uh, is a, is a businessman or a businesswoman, and they're being very successful. They don't love the Lord, but they're super successful. Uh, rejoice in their success yeah. and talk about it and show some, show some real interest in what they're doing. And, uh, and don't feel like it. I, I got to look for the segue. I got to look for the segue. I got to look for the segue. Talk about Jesus. Please don't do that. Because if you've done your job as a parent leading and raising your kids for Christ, the word of God never comes back void. Yeah. The truth of God is still there. And I, that's what I've always done as a parent with my kids who've gone wayward. I trust the information already in their hearts and minds and hopefully a life that they've been able to observe in me and their mother that shows at least a, a level of consistency and uh, that they can look back on. Yeah. I know, I know growing up, I mean, I would watch my mom and dad like crazy, right? I mean, I would, you know, are they, are they doing what they say? Is this just a Sunday thing? Is this a lifestyle? And they, they weren't perfect and they would never admit to be perfect. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, even knowing your own kids, I mean, I know I've talked to them and they're like, yeah, my, my dad messed up. My dad made mistakes, but I always knew he loved Jesus mm -hmm. and Jesus was number one in his life, which now as they're older, they would, they would say, oh yeah, I knew my dad was real which I think is a huge thing because you do hear that. You hear a lot of kids say, well, my parents are hypocrites. You know, they, they go to church on Sunday, but after Sunday, there's, they're not, they're not doing what they're, everybody thinks they're yeah. doing, you know, which is, I think is a, 
that's a huge thing. I think the other thing, just knowing you for the last 20 years, I think, you know, your willingness to, to seek forgiveness, to admit you're wrong. I mean, I've talked to your kids. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal, right? And like, you have some parents who say, you know, they're, they're never going to admit they're wrong. They're never going to go to their kids, but we expect our kids to ask for forgiveness yeah, yeah. <laughs> with their brothers and sisters, but we don't show them how to do that. I mean, I'm convicted about that in my own life. Of And we've heard, that. we've heard the kids say of their parents that they've never heard their parents say, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's a real tragedy right yeah. there because they're act. If you're a parent and you never repent of your sin or your sins in front of your children or in front of your spouse, you know, my wife and I made a promise early on. We would never argue in front of our kids. That's a great promise, isn't it? Well, we screwed that promise up within about two weeks of being married. Okay. And, uh, you know, we just, I, I was like, what? I mean, I couldn't believe it. I, I mean, and the kids saw this and we had to go to them time and time again and ask them to forgive us. And, and sometimes more often to a point where it's like, man, I hope they don't think we're a bunch of hypocrites here because we screw up so often, but I think it worked out that way. And when you're a parent and you never repent, you're telling your kids that you're God and I got news for you. You're not God. Yeah. You're a man, you're a woman, and you're going to mess up. And if your kids don't see that humility, you're the one signing their death notice, spiritually speaking. Yeah. That's a hard word, but it's a good word. Um, you talked about Brandon in the message and you said he got saved, but he caved. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, um, he struggled and he had some, he, he followed the world essentially, you know? So, um, what if, what would you say to those people that are, that are in that situation right now? Maybe prayed a prayer when they're younger, maybe trusted Christ, not really sure, but they're wayward, they're struggling or, or you've got a, you've got a, um, a child who's in that situation yeah. or whatever, but like, what would you say to those people who are maybe struggling? They're maybe listening to this right now and they're saying, you know what? I grew up in church. I, I've heard it. I know it. I think I'm, I think I'm saved, but I'm chasing the world right now. Yeah. Like what, what, what would you say to those people? Well, I know it's an old line, but I would say, how's that working for you? Because Brandon would say it wasn't working. Mm. And yet he, and yet, you know, the carrot dangled in front of him of money and success continued to drive him and he continued to be miserable for 20 years. Mm. In fact, I told him just the other day, I'd like to bring him on this podcast. I think our people would love to hear, you know who I'm talking oh, yeah. about. Yep. And, uh, and he's, a, he's a true man of God today. It's a, you don't see these kinds of things very often. In fact, at most cases you think, uh, well, they've, they're not really saved, but Brandon was, and he would tell you during that entire time, it, he was miserable. And I would say to you who are out there listening to this, that if you're confident that you're saved and you're living a worldly life, not secular apart from God, you know, you, you know, you know what I'm talking about, then you are at some level, a miserable person. And if you're not a miserable person, I, I just don't think you can claim to be a Christian because of Hebrews 12, six, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every child whom he receives every child. So, if you're a child of God, you are under the disciplinary hand of God. If you are living in a worldly way, that cannot be a good place to be. No matter how fat and sassy you may be financially, you're not a happy person. Turn back to God, 
repent. He's still waiting for you. And you can be like Brandon and have the joy of the Lord again. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And, and even just maybe in closing here, just talking about, you know, are you in the family? That was a question yeah. that you asked. I mean, so, um, how, how does somebody like, you know, maybe they, they did like we were just talking about, they grew up in church. They, they maybe got saved when they were younger. They don't know, but they're living that lifestyle. They're chasing the world. They're living like Brandon did. What are those evidences that would say, I, I am truly a born again, right? I mean, yeah. even some of your own kids were in yeah. this situation. Yeah. What, what is the evidence to say to somebody like, you think you're saved, but all the evidence is pointing to you're not, or you're struggling with salvation and really you are, you are born again, you are a Christian. And then, you know, and, and, and we don't do this a lot on the podcast, but if somebody were to, you know, what does that really mean to be a child of, of Jesus? Yeah. Like, what does that um, and then we can just wrap it up with any closing comments. Well, I'll make it quick. I'll make it brief because we've talked about our, our two youngest. They get a lot of airtime and they've been on this podcast. You personally have worked with both John and Daniel and they're a great illustration of your question because both of them are not living for the Lord. Neither of them looked like they were saved. And yet Daniel, they both claim to be saved. Daniel, as it turned out, was saved. John, as it turned out, wasn't saved. Daniel got right with God. John got saved. Both of them passionately follow the Lord. There's no question, as you would agree, that they both passionately follow the Lord today. Yeah. So the difference between a carnal or worldly Christian and somebody who's not saved is very simple. One's going to heaven. The other's going to hell if they die in that situation. And the only way you're going to know is you have to search your own heart. Did you really believe the gospel that Christ died for you and rose again? And did you really embrace Jesus from your heart? Uh, with Daniel, he did. And the evidence was that he was always sorry when he got caught. He got caught a lot. John rarely got caught. Daniel was always getting caught. He's always doing stupid things and getting caught. And I think as it, I used to think that's the only evidence I have that he's saved. Well, as it turned out, he was. Mm -hmm. John rarely got caught and just got kept getting darker and darker and darker. And I, and I, and I, the longer it went, the more I thought he's just not a Christian and he wasn't a Christian and, uh, but he understood the gospel. And when he did, he trusted Christ as savior. So I would look at whether there's any impact or there's any conviction, if there's any desire to turn back to God, that might be evidence that you're saved. Um, I mean, I, I, other than that, you know, I think I go to second to Timothy two verse 19, the, 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 the seal of the Lord is sure, or, uh, it, it says, uh, has this promise. The Lord knows those who are his. I love that line. The Lord knows those who are his. I can't tell and neither can you, Yeah. but I'll tell you what, if I was in that state, that is one scary place to be. Hmm. That is one scary place to be because you might be on the precipice of hell if you're living like that. Uh, and it might just be, you're on the precipice of being taken out of this world. You know, is it possible? I mean, God can take anybody out of the world for any reason. Take me out tonight if he wants, but why would you be tempting God to take you out of the world? If you're a child of God, by the way, you're living. That's what I would say as a warning. Yeah. And obviously you don't ever shy away from an opportunity, but if somebody is listening to this, how yeah. do they trust Christ? Yeah. Well, you have to believe that Jesus is God that he created all things, including you. 
and that he loved you enough to come into this world and take on human nature, became a person. And he had, a, he, he was just like you, except he never sinned. And so he lived tempted in every way like you were, but he never sinned. That's what you, this is what your savior Jesus did for you. He did miracles. He taught powerful things that were true. Everything he said was true. And he said, I'm the way I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one comes to God, the father in heaven, except through me. And then he did the ultimate act of love for you and for me. He died on the cross for your sins on behalf of your sins. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus died for you. You have to believe that he was buried in the grave, put in there for three days and rose again from the dead to prove that everything he said was true. And so I would say to you, if you're listening and you've never believed that with all your heart, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that you're a sinner, you're lost, you're separated from God and that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I would ask you in the name of Jesus, be saved yeah. today. Yeah. Amen. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for the message. I think it's a, it's some good questions, even in my own life and with my wife and kids, as we talk through some of this stuff, it's just really good to, um, yeah, just ask some of those questions yeah. about parenting and loving Jesus with all my heart and not getting sucked into the, the worldly mentality. So yeah. thanks Amen. for, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for sharing with us. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast and thanks for listening. Those of you that are listening. Amen. My joy. Thanks.